Parshas Chukas, the first section of Parshas Chukas, is the law of the para aduma, the red cow. The section we read on Parshas Para, but it's also the first section of Parshas Chukas. The first part of the, the first part of the section deals with the ritual of the para aduma itself, and the second part deals with some of the halachas of Tumas Meis, of the tumah that comes from contact with a, with a deceased human being. Now, there is a series of Midrashim, statements of Chazal, Gemara, Midrashim, that emphasize that Paraduma is the ultimate mystery. Rashi mentions this briefly in his comment to the Parsha. Rashi, Rashi comments on the word Zos Chukas The Torah uses the word Chok. Chok is the word that, <coughs> according to Chazal, Chok, Chok as opposed to Mishpat and Mitzvah, Chok is the word that means something that we don't understand, a, uh, a, a mysterious law that it's Hashem's will, and that, that's all we can say about it. So many mitzvahs in the Torah are called chukim. So Rashi comments specifically on the fact that paraduma is called chok, zos chukas Rashi says, and the nations of the world, they, uh, they, 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 they harass the Jewish people, and they say, Maha mitzvah zos, what kind of bizarre mitzvah is this? Matam yeshba, what's the rationale for this strange sounding ritual? That's why the Torah says, Chuka, Gzerahim elefanai, Vein lacharishus, lacharacharacha. Hashem says it is a, it is a Gzerah, and you may not understand it, but you have no right to challenge it, and to, uh, you have no right to challenge it, and to critique it. This is my will. This language of Rashi, it's a chok, The Gemara in Yoma actually uses this language about chukim in general. The Gemara in Yoma is going on the Pasuk, So the Gemara in Yoma uses language very similar to Rashi. What is Hashem telling you when, when He instructs you to keep the chukim? These are things that the Satan has, uh, has, has rebuttals to, the Satan has uh, arguments against. What are examples of such chukim? Achilas Chazir, don't eat swine. Why not? Visha Shatnis, another very mysterious mitzvah. Don't wear garments that have both wool and linen. Chalitas Yuvama, the Chalitza ritual, taking off a shoe and spitting. Taras Mitzara, the ritual of purifying the Mitzara, which in some ways is reminiscent of the Paraduma ritual. Sar Hemishtaleach, Karbanos, you know, we used to Karbanos, but the Sar Hemishtaleach, the Sar that's cast off the, the mountain to Azazel. What is that all about? You might think these are all bizarre and primitive sounding rituals. Talmud Lomar, Ani Hashem. The Pasuk says that's Chukose Tishmaru Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem Chakachtiv. Bein Lacharishus Laharbahem. These are my laws, Hashem says. Don't try to challenge them. So the same language that the Gemara there says about Chukim in general, such as Kilayim and Chalitza and Mitzora and so on. Rashi here brings this language about Paraduma. Paraduma is also is specifically called Zoschukas And Rashi says that the, the nations of the world would have challenges about this, and, the, and, you, and, and you have to accept this is my will, and you have no right to challenge this mitzvah. The Psikhtar Abbasi, Midrash, the Psikhtar Abbasi says that even Shlomo HaMelech could not understand Paraduma. Shlomo HaMelech was the was the the great Chacham. This refers to the story in Malachim I learned with Simcha recently, 
in Paragimel Malachim, Hashem appears to Shlomo in a dream, and he, Hashem tells him, ask, ask whatever you want, ask something from me, and I'll grant it to you. Shlomo asked for Chachma. And Hashem was very pleased that he chose to ask for Chachma, and he said, Yana Shoshalta, as a Devarazeh, you didn't choose to ask for longevity or the lives of, the lives of your enemies or wealth, he says. I will give you, uh, I will give you Chachma. I'll give you Lev Chacham Benavon, a heart, a wise heart, a Sharkamocha, Lohaya Lefanecha. There will have been nobody like you before you, Vacharecha Layakum Kamocha, and there'll be nobody like you subsequent to you. Indeed, a couple of seconds later, we find that Shlomo was indeed granted this tremendous gift of wisdom. The Navi tells us it was a great deal of understanding. The breadth of his heart was as, uh, was, the magnitude was like the sand uh, on, on the shore. Shlomo had more Chachma than all the Bnei Kedem. We call Chachmas Mitzrayim, Bayakam Mikol Adam, and he was wiser than all men. Meitzon Ha'ezrachi, Vehemon Bechalkal, Vedar Devon Emachol, and he was famous among the other nations and non-Jews as well. And he had three thousand mashal, Vayishiro Chamisha Ve'Aleph, and he had a thousand and five songs, and and so on and so on. Shlomo was a legendary Chacham. That the Shlomo was just a tremendous, tremendous Chacham. And of course, in Armasera, we are told that Shlomo was the author of Koheles and of Mishle. These are the things the scholars refer to as wisdom literature. There are books that are specifically intended to teach Chachma. There are philosophical analyses. There are intellectual dissections of the human condition, of the world, and so on. Shlomo is the, Shlomo is the epitome of Chachma in Armasera. And yet, the Psikta Rabbatsi says, it brings a famous drasha, it says, that Shlomo Melech, in one of his works, in Koheles, Shlomo Melech says that he had, he had dreams, he had hoped to attain Chachma, but he ultimately found it beyond his grasp. The Pasuk says, Kol amarti I intended to be wise, I said I would be wise, I thought I could achieve, the, achieve wisdom, but it was far from me. Ultimately, Shlomo was saying he was not able to achieve Chachma. Says the Psik Rabasi, what did Shlomo mean? Shlomo meant he had accomplished all types of Chachma, he had attained all types of Chachma. He's, but however, he said, there's one thing I cannot understand, I have failed in my quest for Chachma. Shlomo said, every chapter in the Torah, I was successful in, in, in achieving all types of Chachma. What did he mean when he said he ultimately failed in his quest for Chachma? That's what Shlomo was lamenting. He says, Paraduma stumped me. Paraduma, I just failed. I could not understand. What is so hard to understand about Paraduma? So the Gemara in Yoma doesn't mention Shlomo, also mentions Shlomo. The Gemara in Yoma gets into the details of what exactly is the baffling mystery of Paraduma. The Gemara brings the Machlokas Tanarim, Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim, Rabbi Akiva says that Paraduma has a baffling paradoxical halacha. The water and ashes mixture of the Paraduma is intended to be sprinkled by a Kohen who's tar on someone who's Tameh Mace as a purification ritual. 
And if you do so properly, if you sprinkle it onto a tame, he becomes tar. That's the, that's the intended use of paraduma. However, valatar tame. Rabbi Kiva says, perversely, if you sprinkle the water on someone who's tar, then he becomes tame. Bizarre. Hard to understand. The Chum say, no, the, the Pasuk means something else. And the Chum criticize, the Chum disagree with Rabbi Kiva. They say, Rabbi Kiva reads the Pasuk to mean what he says. Biza tar alav. Alatame means alatame tar, alatar tame. The Chum say that can't be what it means. It has to mean something else. Well, you say it doesn't make any sense. Kalachamarhu, malatame tar. If the water of Paraduma has such a potency that it could even make someone who's tame tar, alatar lo kalshkein. Certainly, if he's tar, it doesn't make sense to say it should become, he should become tame. That, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. Rubikiva, so, what does Rubikiva, Rubikiva do? How does he respond to this uh, seemingly very cogent objection? Rabbi Kiva says, you're right. And that's what Shlomo meant when he said, Amarti Shlomo, the greatest Chacham in the world, Shlomo says, that's what I can't understand. That's where I ultimately fail. I, I simply can't fathom how such a thing could be. And uh, so Rabbi Kiva says, you're right. That's the Halacha. But it's no, it's, it's no, it's no uh, problem that I can't understand it. Even Shlomo couldn't understand it. So therefore, that is, that is Pshan of the Pasuk. And indeed, that's what Shlomo couldn't understand. So the Rabbanan disagree with Rabbi Kiva's din. The Rabbanan say Rabbi Kiva's din makes no sense at all. Uh, so how do they understand what didn't Shlomo understand? If that's not actually the halacha, so what, was, what did Shlomo find so difficult about Paraduma? So the Gemara says, according to the Rabbanan, Shlomo had a different problem with Paraduma. That the halacha is, lemazi lemazin alav tar. The coin who sprinkles the water on the Tameh, he remains tar. The, the target, the, the recipient of the hazah, that he becomes tar. The Nogeabahan, someone who touches the water of Paraduma outside the context of Azah, the Mazah is tar. But someone who just handles Paraduma water, touches Paraduma water outside the Hazar ritual, he becomes Tameh. That's also a somewhat paradoxical halacha that doesn't bother the Chacham as much as Rabbi Kiva's din. That's the paradoxical halacha that Rabbi Kiva couldn't, that, that Shlomo couldn't understand, that the, the Mazah and the recipient of the Hazar are tar, but someone who touches the water in another context is Tameh. So either way, the Gemara says we have some kind of mysterious halacha, one particular aspect. Paraduma itself, apparently, is not uh, so difficult to understand. As we mentioned earlier, there are many mitzvahs in the Torah that are not uh, intuitively clear. Shatnes and so on. A lot of things we don't understand. But Paraduma has this one specific paradoxical halacha that is completely baffling, and that's what even Shlomo HaMelech couldn't understand. Now, Shlomo couldn't understand it. There is, however, a Midrash that says that Moshe did understand it. The, in the Psikhtadr of Kahana, another, another, another version of the Psikhtadr, the Psikhtadr of Kahana, it says that the language of the Torah, when it talks about Paraduma, Hashem commands, paraduma. They shall take for you, for you, Moshe, a Paraduma. So Moshe had some special connection to the Paraduma. What does that mean, the Paraduma is Moshe's para? What's his association with the para? So the Midrash brings a, a, a drasha. Hashem said, Moshe, l'cha megala iske para avalacherem chuka. We mentioned earlier, Paraduma is the great chok. The Satan challenges, the Olam challenge, challenge it. Even, even, even Shlomo HaMelech couldn't understand Paraduma. The Midrash says, yes, but there was one man who could understand Paraduma. That was Moshe. God chose to reveal the mysteries of Paraduma to Moshe. But nobody else could understand it. For everyone else, it is a... Everyone else, it is a chukah. The Midrash goes on. 
The Midrash brings another perspective on this question of Chok. The Midrash says that a certain guy, after B'yachon Manzaka, he said, Para, Duma, this sounds like sorcery. This sounds like uh, mystic rituals. What are you doing? You, you Jews, you, you pride yourselves on, on the Torah of truth and of uh, holiness. You're doing Kishof. You're doing uh, sorcerous rituals. You take a cow and you shecht it and you burn it and you pulverize it and you put ashes in water. What is this, he said? This, this, this is preposterous. This, this is Kishof. So, how did Rabbi Yochum and Zakai answer him? He asked this person, did you ever have a certain uh, problematic condition called Ruach Tazazis? He said, no, but he, have you ever seen it? He said, yes. He said, so what do you do? Do you know the treatment for this uh, problem? So he says, well, they bring certain roots, and they, and they smoke, and they smoke them, and then they put water on them, and, and that somehow can cause, it might have been a, a demonic uh, possession of some sort, that chases away this Ruach, this, this problem that's afflicting the person, so burning, you know, burning some kind of smoke and water and, and roots has the power to chase away this, uh, this spirit. Do you hear yourself? So if you can understand that burning roots and smoke and, uh, and can chase away a ruach, so then burn the par- burning paraduma and putting the ashes in the water and sprinkling it can chase away the, can chase away the ruach tumah. So... And the guy apparently accepted that. He said, okay, you're right. Uh, you've, 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 uh, you've, you have produced a logical explanation for Paraduma. After he left, the Gemara says, the, the Midrash says, the Talmidim to Ashtar B'yochanam and Zakai, we understand that that wasn't the real reason. The Chisa B'kana. To, to this person, to this non-Jew, you gave him uh, a flimsy explanation. It was good enough for him. But we, between you and me, we know that's not the real reason. So what's the real reason? Tell, tell us what, what the real Pshan Paraduma is. He told them, he said, Chayechem, I swear to you, he said, Lo metarim. A mace has no physical inherent power of Tumah. Water has no inherent physical power of Tara. Ella, what is going on here? What is Tumah and what is Tara? Baruch Hu. It's all the will of God, the decree of God. Kosh Baruch Hu says, hakakti, gazarti. This is my law. This is my edict. You have no right to violate my edict, Zos Chukas So he gave a, a kind of naturalistic and scientific-sounding explanation to the non-Jew, but his, the Talmidim pointed out that's not the real reason, and he apparently conceded and said the real reason is it is simply the will of God, and you have no authority to challenge it. Not the most satisfying reason. The question is, what's the reason? The answer is it's the will of God. That's not a reason. So, as my son would, would tell us sometimes, and we tell him to do something or not to do something, that's not a reason. What's the reason? So the morale has a lengthy discussion in, in which he tries to explain what the profound lesson of this Midrash is. I don't understand what the morale is saying at all. The morale is very critical of people, he doesn't name them, but people like the Rambam, who try to offer very naturalistic explanations for many mitzvahs of the Torah. Don't eat certain foods because the foods are bad for you and they have unhealthy consequences for you. He, the, the morale is appalled. He says, you're reducing the Torah to a medical book or a, a book of diet advice, he says. The morale considers it self-evident the Torah has to be something much more transcendent than simply good, good health advice, he says. So rather, what, 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 he, what the Torah is, I don't know what he's saying. I, I can't make heads or tails out of his explanation. He tries to say that it's something much deeper, much more profound. On the one hand, he's reluctant to reduce it to anything that is comprehensible in ordinary human terms. On the other hand, he keeps on insisting that it is a 
Inyan Sichli, it's a matter of Seichel of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So apparently it's almost blasphemous to try to reduce it to human Seichel, but of course he doesn't want to say it's arbitrary, so we insist that it's Seichel. I, I don't understand morale, I can't explain it, but the, the Midrash is a difficult Midrash. The Midrash is saying that it is possible to offer naturalistic explanations, which is what the Rambam does for much of the Tariq Mitzvahs. However, the Talmudim of Yochum and Zakai knew that, that that was not the real authentic reason, when they challenged him to tell him what the real reason was, he said, there is no reason that we can reduce to simple logical terms, loha meis metame, vloha mayim metarim, it's all a gzera, it's all a chok, and ain't a shoy What that means is it's difficult to understand. So we have a whole family of Madrashim, as we've seen, we have the Gemara Yoma, the Psikta Drafkahana, the Psikta Rabasi, all these various Madrashim that tell us that there is... The entire ritual of Paraduma is mysterious. It's like Shafim. Specific halachas of the Paraduma are baffling and paradoxical, as the Gemara Yama says. The Tanchuma, another Midrash. The Tanchuma also mentions the Paskin Koheles, Amarti Echma Virachokam Imeni, that the, it goes on and on about the great Chachma of Shlomo. And it says that Shlomo thought he could understand everything until he got to Paraduma, and then he admitted that his Chachma was inadequate to, uh, to grasp Paraduma. The, the Tanchum also indicates that Moshe may have understood para. It says, Mika chacham miyodea pesher davar. Again, Kohelis again. So it says that the, that the, the chacham is a Kodesh Baruch Hu. The yodea pesher davar, that's also a Kodesh Baruch Hu. What does it mean, pesher davar? Shapirish is a Torah to Moshe. He explained the Torah to Moshe. And the implication is that it sounds like it was uh, paraduma. He explained even paraduma to Moshe which is the point that the Psikta Rufkana says explicitly, that Hashem said, the Yikuei Lecha Para, Para Duma is, you have a, a unique connection to it, Lecha Ani Megala So this tells us also a very important lesson. Even when we call things Chukim, Chukim doesn't mean there's no explanation. Chukim means the expl- that the explanation is not obvious, is difficult. Most people won't understand the explanation. Most people will, may not know it. It requires a great deal of eon and analysis to, to uncover the chok. But chok doesn't mean there's no explanation. There, there is an explanation, and even one that a human being can fathom. Moshe understood it. God explained it to him. Moshe understood it. Why Moshe couldn't, didn't, or couldn't explain it to the rest of Kalal Yisrael, the Midrash, of course, is not very clear about this. The Gemara, the, the Gemara brings that Tov Ayin, Moshe had a... Uh, had a great, uh, great quality of generosity that Hashem gave Torah to him, but Moshe, Moshe then, Moshe provided the, the Torah to Klai Yisrael. Yes, Simcha? Um, maybe Hashem didn't let Moshe tell it to Rabbi. So Simcha is suggesting maybe Hashem didn't want Moshe to reveal this to anyone else. Hashem wanted Moshe to convey the rest of the Torah. Maybe this, for some reason, Hashem didn't want him to convey. Certainly possible. We don't know why. The Midrash doesn't explain why Hashem wouldn't have wanted this to be revealed. Maybe it was something that was simply too esoteric for people to understand. Maybe they couldn't have understood it. So we don't know exactly why, but I'll call upon him. Paraduma is held up by a whole family of Midrashim as the quintessential, the epitome of mystery that's virtually above human comprehension. But again, not 100% above human comprehension. Even if Shlomo couldn't understand it, Moshe at least was able to understand it. However, Moshe didn't convey it to anyone else, apparently, and nobody else was able to fathom Paraduma beyond Moshe. This actually takes us to an interesting question. Was Moshe a greater Chacham than Shlomo? So, when I was learning this parasha with Simcha, the, when I was learning the section, Paragimel and Malachim, 
So the Mefrashim actually deal with the general question of was Shlomo HaMelech really the wisest of all men? So the... So the, the, there, there are some Mefarshim who assume that he was not, who assume that in, uh, in Chachmas HaTorah, Moshe would have been greater. They, they don't bring Paraduma specifically, but they assume that Moshe would have been greater. So they say, maybe Shlomo was the greatest Chacham. Maybe, maybe that means in terms, some Mefarshim say it means in Chachmas HaTeva. He understood the languages of animals, he, that he had worldly wisdom. But in Chachmas HaTorah, maybe Moshe was greater. Some Mefarshim say that we don't mean he was literally greater than every single human being. Some of our say we mean he was the greatest Chacham of his generation. It says, it says before him and after him nobody was a Chacham. That mean, like him, that means in the, immediately, in the generation immediately preceding him, in the generation immediately succeeding him. So around that time there was no one who was a greater Chacham. It doesn't mean some of our just seem to assume that it's implausible that throughout human history nobody would ever be a greater Chacham. The Rolbag, I think, finds that implausible. So some say it means... Within that, uh, within that era, there was no one who was as great a chacham as he was. Some say that, that it means among kings. Kings were not, uh, there was no other king who was a greater chacham than him, but others who were not kings may have been greater than him. I'll call upon him that there is a, a fairly broad sense in the Rishonim that we shouldn't literally assume that Shlomo was the greatest chacham who ever lived. They, 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 there are a number of Mepharshim who do, who, who do impose various qualifications on the statement that Shlomo was the greatest Chacham. I'll call upon him according to the, these Midrashim that indicate that Moshe understood Paraduma. That would also indicate that Shlomo's Chachma, at least in Chachma Satora, was not greater than Moshe. On the contrary, because Hashem revealed Sisrei Torah to, to Moshe, at least in this area, Moshe's Chachma was actually greater than that of Shlomo HaMelech. For the remainder of our share tonight, I want to discuss kind of a free association a couple of other points in, in Jewish thought where we discuss the notion of, of, of chachma and ignorance, whether how much, uh, how much optimism we really have about our ability to understand everything. Are there limits to human understanding? A broad topic, of course. We're not gonna, there, there are a number of different perspectives one can take, a number of different approaches to this question. But we're just going to discuss a, a number of uh, several other related areas in Jewish thought where the question of ignorance, embracing ignorance, accepting ignorance, comes up in Jewish thinking. Rabbi Daya Abadarsi, Rabbi Daya Pnini, was a noted medieval Jewish thinker, philosopher, follower of the Rambam school of thought. He has a collection of aphorisms. One of his aphorisms is, Tachlis Mashenei Shalone Da'echa. The, the goal, the ultimate, uh, the limit to our understanding of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, involves accepting that we don't truly, fully know HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The determination of the knowledge we have of thee is that, we, is that we know thee not. That ultimately we don't fully understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is a point that is made by Rambam as well. Rambam says that nobody can fully understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kilo Yirani Ha'adam V'chai means that mortal understanding is not sufficient to truly comprehend HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rambam says as well, one, one, one famous application of this Rambam deals with the great question that uh, was so troubling to medieval thinkers. How do we reconcile human free will with divine foreknowledge? If God knows what people will do, then how can people truly be free? Surely we can't do other than what God knows we're going to do, so in what sense are we really free? Very deep questions of, uh, of, of, of the nature of contingency, determinism, free will, and so on. So Rambam deals with this question in various of his writings, and one of the points that the Rambam makes is that 
is that the question is a question for us because we're human beings and we think in human categories and we can't fully understand the nature of God and the nature of his knowledge and so on. And if we really truly understood more, uh, more correctly, more precisely the nature of God, we would be able to resolve this question, but we can't and therefore we don't. Uh, we're unable to, to, to get a further resolution because again, the, this is a kind of specific application of this general idea, tachlis echa, that uh, the goal or the, the conclusion we reach when we, when we contemplate God is that we realize ultimately we are finite and limited human beings and we're unable to achieve true, perfect, uh, complete knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch This This aphorism of Rabbi Daya Abedarsi, tachlis mashenei echa, was adopted by a figure in, who operated in a very different culture, in a very different milieu, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Rabbi Nachman also was a big fan of this, a big uh, advocate of this principle, the Tachlis Hayedia Asher Loneida, that uh, Rabbi Nachman apparently had very paradoxical ideas about knowledge and wisdom, about the, he was apparently much more ambivalent than traditional Jewish thought about the values of wisdom and of knowledge and of sophistication, and he was, uh, he praised simplicity and, uh, and uh, wasn't, wasn't entirely thrilled with Chachma. And he also said, he may have been putting a very different spin on this aphorism. Rabbi Dayabadarsi, operating in the Maimonidean tradition, he, he, he venerated Chachma. He thought Chachma was the, was the goal and Chachma was, the, was, was, was just absolutely wonderful. He just said, we have to accept a limit on Chachma. As, as much as we prize Chachma, we have to recognize our limits. We can't understand everything. Ultimate perfect wisdom is beyond uh, mortal comprehension when it comes to God, certainly. So Rabbi Dayabadarsi reluctantly had to concede that, uh, that if we're honest, that we have to recognize the truth, that ultimately we will, uh, ultimately we will not fully understand the, the nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Nachman used to say, Tachlis HaYediyah that the ultimate goal of wisdom, the ultimate Tachlis, the ultimate, uh, the pinnacle of wisdom is ignorance. And Rav Nachman, Professor Yehuda Libas has argued, actually meant something rather different from Rabbi Dayabadarsi. He was, uh, Rabbi Daya Badarsi was, was emphasizing the insufficiency and the, the limits of people, he says, while Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman apparently felt that the, it's a goal, that, that, that the, the achievement of true wisdom is, to, is the negation of wisdom, is, is, is to elevate ignorance, to elevate, the, to elevate uh, that, that it's a goal. The goal of wisdom is to achieve some level of enlightened ignorance. I'm sure I'm not doing Rav Nachman's thought justice, I uh, am really not that familiar with this thought, and it's very alien to me, certainly. So, doubtless, those who understand Rabbi Nachman could explain it much better. But uh, this is one very interesting case where this phrase, Tachlis Hayediyah was said both by Rabbi Daya Habedarsi as well as Rabbi Nachman, although they may have meant very different things by it. The, the last point, the, the, the last topic I want to discuss tonight is is not, not exactly the same thing. It's not necessarily about the, the limits of human understanding, but it's also about how we come to terms with ignorance, with uh, uncertainty, with, uh, with the lack of, uh, of with, with, with our lack of ability to logically answer all questions decisively and authoritatively. And this is a question of, in halacha we know, so sometimes we have, an, we have a consensus, a unanimous, uh, unanimous consensus that halacha is a certain way, Sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes we have sveikos, ibayas, tekus. We have sveikos in the later poskim. 
In all these cases, we have rules. So there are rules. If, if, if there's a machlokis, we say, we say that we say that the halachas like Rabbi Kiva mechaveira, the Rebbe mechaveira, the halachas like Rabbi Kiva mechaveira. We have different rules. Yachid brab malachah kerabim. We have suffik momen laku, suffik momen kula lenitva, much mechaveira lafaraya, suffik yisur deraisa lachumra, suffik yisur rabban lakula. Besides the halachas themselves, we have a whole set of uh, of meta rules, rules that enable us to resolve cases where there is a machlokis. An unresolved halacha. What about when, what about when we pass beyond the, the bounds of narrow halacha? What about when we discuss hashkafa, theology, dogma, animamins, in all these other areas, which are not what we think of as technical halachic questions? So what happens when we're not sure? What happens when there's machlokas? Do we have the attitude that we have to know everything, and that, that there's always some conclusion we have to reach? Or can we simply say we don't know everything, and sometimes we just don't know, we leave it as an open question? So this has been the subject of a particular interest of the, over the last few decades. There are various, various sources that address this question in earlier generations, although, again, it's become a particularly heated topic, partic- particularly, uh, particularly uh, interesting topic over the last few decades as various thinkers have tried to push the boundaries of, accept- of, of acceptable Jewish theology. And this question comes up explicitly and implicitly all the time. Do we have a kind of halakhic process for deciding... What is, what is correct in, in matters of, of Jewish thought in general beyond halacha, or do we take the, the attitude, the lesson of paraduma, we don't know everything when it comes to non-halacha questions, we have to sometimes say we just don't know. So one of the sources often cited in support of the idea that we do apply halachic rules universally, any question that's of religious interest, whether it be halacha or dogma or anything else, can be resolved by the halachic process, is the chasam sofer. The Chassam Sofer has a tshuva in which he was asked about questions about the Ikarim, the, the Ikre Amuna. Rambam famously has, Rambam famously has uh, 13 of them. We have a version of the Animamans. They're in various other places in the Rambam's writings. But other, other Rishon and other thinkers had different lists. The, the question they asked the Chassam Sofer was that are there 13 Ikarim, as per the Rambam, are there three Ikarim, as per Yosef Albo, so, how do we paskin? Halacha question, not a halacha question. How do we paskin? How do we uh, how do we settle these questions of dogma? So the Chassam Sofer first notes, he says he doesn't really understand the question. It's a question of nomenclature. You call it three, you call it thirteen. Rabbi Yosef Albo and the Rambam are not arguing about whether the karma are true. Mark Shapiro has a whole book where he discusses whether how 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 universally how how widely accepted the Rambam's Ikarim actually are. But the fundamental difference between Rav Yosef Albo and the Rambam is not about... Rav Yosef Albo, who has three, is not disagreeing with ten of the Rambam's Ikarim to get down from thirteen to three. He's simply saying that he would, he would categorize them differently. He would, uh, he, would have different, he would have broader categories that include the Rambam's thirteen and his three. So the question is, a very, is really a question of taxonomy more than anything else. So the Chassam Sefer says, I'm not really sure what you're asking. I'm not sure what the, what the question is exactly. Then the Chassam Sofer goes on and he discusses uh, more broadly these questions of theology. How do we resolve questions of theology? What do we do if there's a machlokas? And in the course of the tshuva, he makes a very strong statement that we do apply rules of halachic decision-making to questions of dogma and belief. He brings a, a very uh, provocative Gemara. The Gemara in Chelek, in Sanhedrin, the Gemara says, Rabbi Hillel, not uh, Hillel Hazakin of, of Beis Hillel fame, but, uh, but a, a Talmudic scholar named Rabbi Hillel, 
he said, Ein Mashiach li Yisrael, that there's no Mashiach. We talk about Animan Munashleim Bavias Mashiach. Hillel said, that's a mistake, that's not correct. There is no Mashiach, there will be no Mashiach. What will happen? And does that mean we're stuck in Golas? So Rashi says it means the Kodesh Baruch himself will redeem us without a Shliach. But whatever it is, Hillel has this uh, very, very um, unusual doctrine that Mashiach, such a central role in, uh, in, 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 our, in our belief system, Hillel said that there is no Mashiach. The question revolves around uh, the Psukim and Yeshaya, that Yeshaya prophesies about a, a redeemer from Beis David, Biyatzachotr, Migezayishai, and so on. So Hillel says, Ein Mashiach li Yisrael, The Psukim of Yeshaya's Nevur referred to Chizkiah's time, where, where, where he was able to help Klai Yisrael and restore some of its former glory. It doesn't refer to a Mashiach, Lasid Lavo, the way we interpret it. The Gemara, is, the Gemara itself very, very sharply rejects Hillel's, Rabbi Hillel's position. It says, Sharle Mare to Hillel, that uh, what he said is uh, unacceptable, completely wrong. Says the Chatham Sofer. He says, he says, do we pass him like Hillel? He says, certainly not. Less Hillel The Halacha does not follow Hillel. He applies the, the, the language of Halacha, less Hillel to Hillel. And he says, one who says, if somebody in, in a later generation would say, I follow Rabbi Hillel, I believe. I interpret the Pesukim and Yeshaya the way he did, and I say, Ein Mashiach li Yisrael. Kim li Rabbi Hillel, I, paskin, I follow Rabbi Hillel. He is a kofer. He's a heretic. He's kofer b'Torah. Why? Because the, even though he has a legitimate reading of the Pesukim, Hillel could read the Pesukim that way, so why can't he? Says the Chasim Sofer, because, there is, because we apply the meta rules of Halacha. Halacha has, besides the, the Halacha itself and the, and, the, and the Muna itself, the Torah teaches us, Halacha has rules for resolving disputes as well. And one of those rules is that we have the Paskin Parsh Mishpatim talking about a case where there's a dispute in Bastin. It says that if Bastin doesn't reach a unanimous verdict, you follow the majority. And Chazal take this to be a, a rule that applies throughout Halacha, not just in Bastin, it applies when there's a dispute among Chacham as well. You follow the majority. And therefore, with regard to Rabbi Hill's doctrine as well, since the majority opinion of the sages of Israel was not like Rabbi Hillel, therefore he says, subsequently, consequently, nobody has the authority to follow Hillel. A mushal, he says. It's analogous, he says, it's exactly analogous to a halachic question. The Gemara and Shabbos, Perak Rabbi Eliezer de Mila. Rabbi Eliezer has a minority view not just Mila's Docha Shabbos, even if you have to cut down some, some wood to make coals, to, to, to heat up iron, to prepare the, the knife for the Mila, even though it's only Machshire Mila, that is Docha Shabbos as well. We don't paskin like that. We say that the, the Chachma Yisrael paskin not like him. Now, if someone were to say, look, Rebbe was a great scholar, I find his arguments very persuasive, I feel the halach is like Rebbe I am going to allow the cutting down of trees on Shabbos for this purpose. He's a Mechal Shabbos, he says. We execute him. If there's Edom and Asra, then we execute him with Skila. He can't say, I follow Rebbe Le'ezer. Rebbe Le'ezer Shita is rejected. There's a halachic process to deal with disputes and uncertainties. Once we follow it, Rebbe Le'ezer Shita is out of bounds. Is no longer a legitimate Shita. Here, too, with Rebbe Hill as well, even though it's not a halachic question, it's a question of dogma, of, of belief. Nevertheless, Rebbe Le'ezer Shita is out of bounds once the Chacham, once Rebbe Hill Shita is out of bounds once the Chachma Yisrael overruled him, 
And therefore, the Chesim Sofer says, at least in this context, at least in the case where the Chachmei Ashas reached a definitive conclusion about one of the Ikri Amuna, so at this point he says that, the, that his shita is unacceptable, and anyone who follows, anyone who follows Rabbi Hillel would be an Apikaris, would be considered a heretic. So the Chesim Sofer very much seems to believe that the halachic process is not limited to what we think of as halacha. Other questions that are relevant to Jewish thought as well, theology, eschatology, the, the, the propositions about Mashiach, even those are subject to halachic rules like Achrei Rav Lahatas, and just as, just as in halacha, you can't just pick and choose minority opinions, we have rules about doing that, so too the same thing applies to theological questions, to questions of religious belief, such as about Mashiach. A remarkable, a, a remarkable expression of the opposing view appears in the Chuvas Leiv Avram of Rabbi Avram Weinfeld. Rabbi Avram Weinfeld was a fascinating 20th century thinker. He was a Rav in Muncie, not as well known as people like Ramosha Feinstein or Ryakov Kamenetsky, but he was a very, very intriguing and fascinating thinker, very, very iconoclastic. He was, uh, you can't put him in a box. He just uh, always says the most interesting things. He just always says, he always goes where the arguments take him, and even if they take him sometimes to some very strange places. In the 1950s, he says he was commissioned by the editors of one of the rabbinic journals. They wanted papers, they wanted articles on the subject of religious Zionism. What is the Hashkafah Satara vis-a-vis religious Zionism? This was a few years after the, after the establishment of the state and the War of Independence. And they wanted opinions by Gidali Torah, by Chachmei Torah, as to what should we believe, what should be our attitude toward the recent historical developments in Eretz Yisrael. As Rabbi Weinfeld refers throughout his lengthy discussion, there are conflicting opinions. He keeps referring to his, his colleagues on the right, the, the hardliners, the Satmer, whoever they are, who believe the whole thing is Masa Satan, it's a temptation, it's the last trick of Satan before the Geula. It's a, we have to say this because since the government is, is Kenegadah Torah and it's, it's such a disgrace to have a government that's not more respectful for the Torah, we have to view it as Masa Satan, even though it seems like a like a good outcome somewhat, at least we have control of Eretz Yisrael, it's Maisa Satan. On the other hand, we have, of course, the position of the Datilu Mi world. They take for granted that this is uh, an incredible chesed of Hashem, God has remembered us after 2,000 years in Gullus, has brought us back to our land, and so on. Tremendous chesed of Akash Baruch So what should we do? How should we resolve this question? What should our attitude be? Is it Maisa Satan? Is it, is it a chesed Elion of Akash Baruch so how do we resolve this question, he says. Rabbi Weinfeld goes on for pages, and his, his answer is a, is a brilliant and eloquent and uh, compelling answer of, I do not know. He argues at great length that there is no need to know everything. It's presumptuous to think we can know everything. He says people might have pre-existing ideological commitments. He says, he says, you know, I, he says I, tell my, I, I tell my friends on the left, he says, the religious left, you know, you can't just view this as unalloyed good. Don't you see all the problems, the, the Chil Hashem, the rejection of Torah and mitzvahs? But I also tell my friends on the right, he says, he says, I understand, this is not what you hoped for. The Gula in this way, implemented by these people, he said, this is not, you know, Ben-Gurion instead of, uh, instead of you know, Mashiach Ben-David. I understand, not what you wanted, it's not what you hoped for, he said. All right, maybe God had a different plan, he says. 
Are, are you really so sure that you can dictate to God how he should run the world? Are, are you so convinced that you know the way things have to be, um, have to be that, you can, that you can simply dismiss what Akash Baruch might be offering you? Who knows, he says. How do we have, what gives you the right to assume, to be absolutely so sure of yourself, he says, that this is, that this is what Hashem wants, he says, that this can't be what Hashem is doing? How do you know, he says, both sides. Both sides, both, both partisan camps, he says, have their fixed ideological convictions that this is how, that this is how it has to be, that, it can't, that we, we have to be right, it can't be any other way. He says it's not like that. He says we just don't know. We should have the humility to admit that we don't know. We don't, we don't know everything, he says. He makes a, a strong distinction, again, between halacha and Matthias, analyzing history, he says halacha has a halachic process that the... Halacha, which governs practical questions, what should we do, Asr and Mutter, Tameh and Tar, Chayev and Pater. Halacha, he says, so we have, if it's not clear, then we, we apply the rules, we, we, we apply to Gedolei Torah, and they help us resolve the questions. He says, however, when it comes to history, when it comes to interpretation of, of historical events, he says, how do we know? He says, we have no idea, the other, we, we, we're human beings, we can't... Uh, we can't, uh, we can't know. He says the Holocaust. Says, People know uh, why Hashem brought the Holocaust. In other shiurim, we've discussed various suggestions made by different Kedol Torah. Rav Weinfeld says, who knows? We, we can't claim that we, know, that, that we know what Hashem means by all this. In the course of his discussion, he invokes Rabbi Yedai HaBadarsi's aphorism, Tachlis HaYedia, Possession Eidash, Yodim. We have to recognize that the ultimate, uh, the ultimate, the best we can do, the, the most, uh, the truest form of knowledge is to accept that we don't have complete knowledge, we just don't know, that at the end of the day, we just don't know, he says, we should recognize that, we should, uh, we, we should embrace that, he says, we just don't know, that's the way things are, we don't know everything, he says, and uh, at the end of the day, he says, we just don't know, and we should, we should accept that. He, uh, he, he wrote this long essay, he says that he got some, uh, he got high praise for it, that his rabbinic colleagues, he, he quotes a few who, were, who, who thought he, that this was a... Uh, this was an excellent uh, summary of the situation. But not everyone agreed with what he said. He did get some pushback. He got uh, a certain rub. He said that this rub said, what do you mean? You're abdicating responsibility. Yes, there are arguments both ways. You can throw up your hands and say you don't know. It's your job to have an opinion, he says. It's your job, so take, pick, pick a side. He says, don't just, don't, just be, uh, don't just be wishy-washy. Pick a side. Consider the arguments. Consider the... Consider the, the consider the, the positions and, and choose. He says, "Don't just say you don't know." Paskin the halacha. He says that, that that's how Torah works. We we weigh we weigh the different positions and we arrive at a conclusion. Says Rav Weinfeld, "No, I stick to my guns. I stick. I, I I have a firm conviction. I'm firmly committed to my posture of epistemological humility." He says, "And I have three responses to you. you you're telling me that the way of the Torah is." I should just pick a side? No, I will not pick a side. I steadfastly refuse to pick a side. What about the fact that in halacha we pick sides? First of all, once again, he reiterates, that is, that is in the sphere of halacha. Unlike the Chasim Sofer, who seems to assume, doesn't bring the Chasim Sofer, but unlike the Chasim Sofer, who seems to assume that we can easily translate from questions of halacha to questions of dogma, of theology, he says, no, in halacha we can decide. But when it comes to emunos videos, when it comes to beliefs and theological propositions, he says the, the Archachamim in general did not uh, establish halacha kvua, he says, and to, certainly to understand history, he says, that, that's, a, that's a category error to try to apply halachic rules. As he said in the first tshuva, we have no, trying to apply halachic methods of resolution to questions of theology and history, he says, the whole thing is a mistake. 
Furthermore, he says, even in halacha, not everything is decided. It's true, sometimes we apply rules like achir lahatos or safik lachumra or lakula, but there are cases where there simply is no resolution. We simply have two opinions. It's always true, he says, that lamaisi, if you have to decide what to do, eat it or don't eat it, uh, pay the money, don't pay the money. So yes, at the end of the day, we have to know what to do. So when it comes to a concrete action, we have to, uh, we have to do something. Inaction is also a choice. He says, but when it comes to just things that you think about, things in your head, he says, so uh, what, uh, you know, what are you going to do? He says, I'm sorry, even in halacha, he says, even in halacha, not every halacha is resolved. As a, as a practical matter, you have to have, you have, to have some, kind of, uh, some kind of policy, he says, but certainly new questions that come up, it's not always so easy to machria. We just don't know, he says, even in halacha, we recognize that some questions are not, uh, are, are not really resolvable. And third, he says, that, that the whole project, he says, is fraught with uh, the impossibility of being objective. People, in, in, some halakhic issues are relatively uh, neutral, they're, they're abstract, you don't have any ideological commitments, he says. But here, it's much more personal. People, uh, people are uh, blinded by their partisan, their partisan commitments, he says. You, you're committed to a certain position, to a certain school of thought. He says, you know, anyone can just, uh, can, can just find arguments that support his view and that uh, refute the arguments of his opponents, he says. And uh, practically speaking, even if, even if I agreed in theory it would be good to choose and pick sides, he says, in practice this is so difficult, bordering on impossible, to resolve questions about which we have preconceived commitments and preconceived interests, he says. It's practically speaking very, very hard to do. He says, perhaps that's what Chazal meant when they said in Pirkei Avos, Batel Rutzon Chavapnei Rutzon, no. You should, uh, you, you should give up your own desires in favor of a Kosh Baruch Hu's desires. He said, Kipshuto, you learn it means that you know, I want to eat this tray food. Hashem said no, so I give up my desire because of a Kosh Baruch Hu's mitzvah. He says, no, maybe it means an ideology as well, he says. We have our ideological commitments, he says. But we have to recognize, just because we think something is a certain way, maybe a Kosh Baruch Hu doesn't agree with us, he says, that we have to say, it's not about what I think, it's not about what I want, it's about what a Kosh Baruch Hu thinks, what a Kosh Baruch Hu wants. So he says about the state, he says about the, he says about the, how do we view the state? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? He says, divine secrets, who knows, he says. It's a, what Akash Baruch is doing, only he knows what he's doing, he says. Until Mashiach comes, we have, uh, we have no way to answer that question. Practical questions, he says, yes. Practical questions, what, uh, how, what negotiating posture should we take vis-a-vis the heretics who don't believe in Torah? How should we battle them publicly, privately? What forms of, uh, of warfare should we engage in, he says. And so on. those are practical questions. Those, he says, are, 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 are solid, legitimate questions that we have to ask, he says. But, the, but, the, but he says, philosophical questions, how to interpret the meaning, of the, the meaning of these historical events, that's not something subject to halachic analysis. And I'll just close with one final quote from Rev. Weinfeld. His, his critic had said, that he was wishy-washy and inconsistent, that instead of taking a firm and consistent position, he says, sometimes he's more sympathetic to, to one side of the debate, sometimes to the other side, he says, he says, come on, he says, be consistent, have a clear, have a clear and consistent perspective, he says, what is, I, 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 he says, what is all this uh, shifting back and forth? Says Rav Weinfeld, absolutely not, I think I'm absolutely right, he says, I'm proud of the fact that I'm inconsistent, he says. Emerson said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, and that's what Rav Weinfeld says. He says, the only person who's fully consistent, he says, is the simple knee-jerk partisan. Someone who has, 
someone who has, uh, who simply, my, 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 my camp, right or wrong, he says, such a person, yes, his side can do no wrong, the other side can do no right. Yeah, those people are very consistent. People who are not objective, who are simply driven by ideology, he says, those people will have uh, simple, consistent views. Someone who's honest, he says, someone who judges each issue on the merits, Someone can recognize that sometimes this side, this side's position may have more merit. Sometimes the other positions, the other side's position may have more merit. Sometimes who is not influenced by all these partisan uh, distortions, he says, such a person will recognize that uh, sometimes one is right, sometimes the other is right. And that's why he says, I'm proud of the fact that I'm inconsistent. I'm not inconsistent, but I'm, it's simply a question of nuance. It's a question of, of uh, being nonpartisan and objective, he says. When someone is... When someone is, is an honest and objective seeker after truth, then yes, he won't have a simplistic, consistent view because, because right and wrong is not, the, is, not, is not a monopoly of either side. Both sides, both sides may be right in, 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 in different cases, and therefore he is very proud of, the, of what appears to the simple-minded as inconsistency and wishy-washiness.